You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, we are continuing our I Am series. We only have two weeks left. Two weeks left. Next week, Pastor Alex is going to wrap up the I Am series. Excited to hear his words and his wisdom. Um, He doesn't preach very often, but when he does, I always learn something. So I'm excited for him to to conclude our I Am messages next week. But we have uh, one today that is probably my favorite one. I'm a little biased. Um, This is my favorite one. It's called I Am the Resurrection. I am the resurrection, and uh, I'm going to try not to spoil too much, because there is something pretty important we're going to talk about next month uh, around the resurrection. Who, got, who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. So I'm going to try not to give my, my Easter message today, um, but it's, it's the way that he, the, the Jesus statement, I am the resurrection, is found in one of the most important and powerful stories, I think, in all of um, the Gospel of John which is the story of Lazarus. How many of you guys know the story of Lazarus? I've read it. I've heard it before. Corbin didn't raise his hand. I'm really concerned about that. I tease Corbin a lot. I'm really sorry. But, um, but let me start off with this. You know, I'm in a season of life with my children, my six-year-old in particular, when their favorite word is why. How many of you parents know what I'm talking about here? When, when why is the favorite word Hey, Lucas, you need to brush your teeth. Why? Well, so you don't get cavities. Why? I don't know why. Just please brush your teeth. Hey, hey buddy, you need to pick up your toys. Why? So I don't step on them. Why? I don't know. But just pick up your toys. Hey, stop hitting your brother. Why? I don't know. Just stop hitting your brother. Right? We, we get the whys all the time as parents. And, and I think at first I was always like, yes, I can't wait for my kid to be curious and ask a lot of questions. And, and now that I'm in this season, I'm like, ooh, this is, this is a lot harder and not as fun as I thought it was going to be. But I do also really cherish this, this curiosity of, of a child, the curiosity of, of always asking and kind of pushing the, the questions of, of why and even challenging my understanding of, of life. My son does that a lot at six years old. And I think there's a great value in that. There's a great value in asking questions. There's a great value in, in asking why and asking why is this happening? Why are we doing this? I think as a, as a church, we should be a, a church that, that has a culture of questions, that it's okay to ask questions no matter what the question is. I think that's an important part of, of health. And a, I think a spiritual health is actually also going to the Lord and being like, Why? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why does this have to occur? The Lord is is not afraid of our questions, just the same way as Lucas is not afraid to ask me why. He's not afraid, even though I get frustrated sometimes, like I don't know the answer. He still has no problem asking why. Because the reality of our walk with Jesus is that at one point or another, if, and most of you likely already have in your walk with the, the Lord, if you, you have said this word or these words, why, Lord? How many of you have done that? Why, Lord? Why, Lord, did the San Francisco 49ers have to lose last week? <laughs> I know there were a few of you in here that were like that. Adam, looking at you, buddy. Why, Lord? Can you just say that with me? Say, why, Lord? Why, Lord? Today we are going to explore the I am resurrection statement. But to really understand the importance of the term resurrection, I think we have to start with that question. Why, Lord? 
Why, Lord? Why? Because Jesus' statement here is found within the context of the rising of Lazarus. The rising of Lazarus. Contained in this story are two sisters, Mary and Martha, asking God why their brother had to die. Why, Lord? Why? So if you have your Bibles, we're, we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. I'm not going to read the, the entire story for you. It's about 40-some verses. But I want to give you kind of a, a breakdown, a little bit of, of John 11, at least the part around this story of Lazarus. So Lazarus was a friend of Jesus and his disciples. That's an important key indicator here in the, in the context of the story, is that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were good friends of Jesus. This is, I think, an important part of the story, because if you look at Jesus' ministry, a lot of the people he was healing, there, there were, they were, they were somewhat strangers. You, you, know, you discount Peter's mother-in-law and things. They're somewhat of a, a stranger to Jesus. They're people passing by. But in this story, this is a good friend of Jesus. This is somebody who he would have known, he would have had dinner with, they would have known him intimately, they would have known who he was. There was a closeness here that most people didn't have with Jesus like he did with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He was a friend rather than a stranger. I think this is an important part of, of the context here. You know, Lazarus had gotten sick while Jesus was away and, and had actually passed away. And so Mary and Martha had then sent word to Jesus saying, please come, my brother is sick. And in that process, he passes away before Jesus can get there. So the context that we enter into the story here is we have two sisters who are mourning the death of their brother. Mourning the death of their brother, someone who knew Jesus well, friend of Jesus, and they knew that. And by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. So the mourning process was, was over halfway through. You took, if you were a Jewish person mourning, you were taking Sheba. This is seven days of mourning. People would have gathered in your home. You would have just sat on the floor, and you would have sat Sheba, this idea of mourning. So we're four days into a seven-day period of mourning. And this is where the story takes place. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John 11. I'm going to start in verse 17, and we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit. So let's look at verse 17 first. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. She was sitting Sheba. She was staying in the mourning process. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I underline that statement in my Bible. Kind of think about that. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Mary will actually repeat the same sentiment in verse 32. She'll say, as soon as Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The statement, Lord, if you had have just been here, my brother wouldn't have died, just really grips our souls, I think. This, this urgency, this panic, this, this idea of why. Why? If you, if you had just been here, this terrible thing would not have happened to us. If you would have just been here, your friend, your brother wouldn't have died. While this is not a direct question, it does carry with it a connotation of not understanding 
why something had to happen. Mary and Martha have a hard time to really grasping hold of, you have this friend, Lazarus, we said he was sick, and it took you too long to get here, and he died. Why? If you had just been here. This phrase captures something that we've all wrestled with in our life, or will wrestle with in our life, as we think about these questions. Have you ever asked yourself, and this is rhetorical, have you ever asked yourself the questions, God, where were you when this happened? God, where were you when I went through what I went through? God, if you would have just been here, then this would never have happened. God, why didn't you intervene when this occurred? God, if you would have just been there, then that terrible thing wouldn't have happened to me. This strikes a chord, I think, with every human being that's ever lived. Because we've all wrestled with this. We've all said this in one way or another. Even if we've never said it out loud, we've had this thought. We've had this wrestling of, God, why didn't you do something? Where were you in this situation? Why did we have to experience this? You know, I, I reflect on this quite often, especially with the story of Lazarus. Because I bring it through my own experiences. Things like, you know, God, why did my niece have to pass away in a car accident at 17? Where does that make sense? How does that fit within your plan? Why? If you would have just intervened, why would this, this would have never happened? You know, Lord, where were you when my brother's marriage started falling apart and the brokenness that I've seen and witnessed because of that? Where were you? Why didn't you intervene? I think if we said it wouldn't take long to reflect and meditate on our examples of when this has happened. We all will or will be in a place of Mary and Martha asking the Lord why, even with full confidence knowing that he, very, he could have made the, the situation go away or he could have repaired it in the moment. If you had just been here, then that wouldn't have happened. These questions we go to the Lord like Mary and Martha are from a broken heart. And it's because we're experiencing some form of death. Sometimes it's a physical death. Sometimes it's a relational death. I think the mourning and grieving process is often very similar, whether it be someone who physically passes or a relational breakage. You still go through this this mourning, grieving process and and a variety of, of, of spectrums when it comes to it. It's not easy. It's tough. Where we must sit and mourn what used to be. There's some form of loss when we have to Mourn what used to be some alternate change has happened, and now we have a new normal or a new beginning. But this is why the resurrection is so important, so powerful, because without death, there can be no resurrection. Without death, there can be no resurrection. And it's within the context of this brokenness and sorrow that Jesus brings the resurrection, where he says these very words, I am the resurrection. The question is an important one because it helps us discover the Lord within the brokenness of death and and destruction and conflict and sorrow. In fact, this story, the story of Lazarus, gives us an in-depth view of the character of God in these situations. This is why it's my favorite story because we give such a powerful glimpse of who God is in these scenarios in life. If you go down to John eleven thirty three 33 through 37, let's read about the character of our God 
when we are in that place of asking why. In verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her, this is Mary crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Deeply moved. He asked, where have you put him? Lord, they told him, come and see. There in verse 35, the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Let's start in the very first verse there. The idea that he was deeply moved. Deeply moved. And briomai, it's the site. It's the Greek word for deeply moved, and it's actually got a really interesting visual. It's, it's the idea of snorting with indignation. This, because I don't do that, but anybody else do that? This idea of just snorting with anger. This idea of snorting with disgust. This, like, what? It, it, it's emotional, it's physical, it even has the connotation of, of shaking. It's like the idea you were so disturbed by it, you were shaking. That's, that's, that's what Jesus' reaction is to this experience. Is that he is shaking with anger in disgust. Why? Well, I like what F.F. F. Bruce, the theologian F.F. F. Bruce says. It says, it was in the presence of sickness and death that he was snorting with anger. And the havoc that wrought in human life. The havoc of death and brokenness and destruction caused Jesus to convulse with anger. Talk about the character of our God when we experience brokenness and death. Do we think about our God convulsing in anger over it? That he snouts with indignation of the fact that his creation has to experience this. This is a deeper level of, of understanding and relationship than I think most of us will understand that our God is not distant away from our suffering but in our sorrow, but he is actually indignant with it, angry about it, because we have to experience it. Death was never a part of the original idea. We were never supposed to have to experience that. That's why death for a lot of us is so confusing. It's disorienting. It seems foreign to us, even though we know it's a reality in this world, because we were never encoded and built up to experience it. In fact, our God gets angry that it's something that that we have to go through and experience. This is why death is often hard to comprehend. We're not designed to know how to deal with it, even though we have to experience it. It's important that we understand this. That the Lord snouts with indignation at death over our brokenness, and it deeply moves him. It shakes him. It moves him, revealing his love for us. There is a deep amount of love here. Not only is Lazarus his friend, someone who had been like a brother to him, but he's deeply loved by the, the, the idea of this is a human being who is suffering in sorrow, and is the effects of it, of his sisters who are suffering in sorrow and mourning, that they have to deal with this. And it points to this idea of a loving God who weeps with us in our brokenness. I know it doesn't always feel like he's right there, that he's with you in these most confusing times. You probably know what I'm talking about when you probably have even asked the question, well, 
And I think it's a logical question to ask is, okay, if he's mourning with us and he's broken with us, why didn't he just make it go away? Why doesn't he just fix it? How many of you would love if God just came in and fixed every problem we ever went through? Exactly how we expected him to fix it. Boy, that would be something, right? And there's a Hebrew word that I want to teach you that some of you may already know, but I think captures well this strange paradox of life, of, of having a God who is all-powerful, but also weeps with us in our brokenness. The word, Hebrew word there is the word hevel. Can you say that? Hevel. It's hevel. There's an entire book of the Old Testament that champions the word hevel, and most of you probably don't know, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes mentions hevel almost 40 times in its chapters. Now you'll see it translated often in English as meaningless or vanity of vanity. That's probably why a lot of us kind of stay away from it, because it talks about life being meaningless. But I I think what we're learning in, in the Hebrew scholarship world is that the best way to understand Hevel is not necessarily meaningless, meaningless or vanity, but it just means paradox. This is, this is an enigma. It, it's a, it's, I don't understand this. And there's a whole book of the Bible of people teaching us how to be wise and how we go, I don't understand this. It's Hevel. It's like one of the examples you read about Ecclesiastes is when a good man goes through everything and does everything right, yet the wicked man achieves all of the glory. You kind of look at it and go, that doesn't make any sense. It's hevel. And the literal meaning of hevel is just a vapor. Like if you looked at a fire, and you know how the smoke kind of goes and then disappears? It's this idea of vapor. That's the literal meaning of it. But when it's used as a metaphor, it's a bit more of a, it can be mean illusion. Or if it's used for an idol, like the Bible will talk about Hevel being this. If you're worshiping false gods, it's the idea of this illusion. It's not really there. It's Hevel. But it's also this idea of paradox. When things don't work out the the way you expect them to work out, or God doesn't do the things that you expect him to do when you expect him to do it, the Bible says that's Hevel. It's, It's a paradox. It's confusing. It's an enigma. This helps us a bit understand what... God likes to do, and, and the kind of his character a little bit in this, is that there's a way to express this emotion, this, this idea of, of not understanding in the way of heaven. We don't really have that in our English language. It's when you do everything right at your job, your marriage, your parenthood, yet it doesn't work out. You could go to God and say, hey, I, I went through every checklist in the Bible. I did everything I was supposed to do. I, I took my kids to church every week. I, I prayed with them at dinner time. I prayed with them at bed. Why did they walk away from you? And then I would say, it's hevel. It's paradox. It's the, it, there's a glitch in the system, is what the Hebrew author is trying to portray with using hevel. When all of the brokenness around us brings us to our knees and we go to the powerful God and we ask why, we can think of the word hevel. It doesn't make any sense. When an all-powerful God chooses to mourn with us rather than prevent that thing that is broken, it's hevel. Yet here is the, the powerful idea of the resurrection. Because in this hevel, in this, this paradox, this enigma, 
that we're taught about in, in Ecclesiastes, Jesus says something important. He says that through the resurrection, this vapor of life, as Ecclesiastes write, that our life is just a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Our brokenness causes us pain and sorrow. There is a, an act that will achieve something that will create the vapor of life and make it everlasting. There is an act that will occur as while that pain and sorrow like a vapor hits us, he will take it away. He will transform it. Because the same Jesus who mourns with us is the resurrection. The one who stands us back up. Look what he says in John 11 verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. That's hevel. What? That doesn't make any sense. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, that's not my experience. Jesus, look what's happening in the story of Lazarus. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? The meaning of resurrection It means to stand back up, to stand back up, to rise up, to physically rise back up. Jesus, in our time of of brokenness and sorrow, he says that in him, he wants to stand us back up. Now, in the time of Mary and Martha, this was always something that was going to happen at the end of time. If you read through the story, Martha even mentions this. She's like, I know there's going to be a resurrection at the end of the day. It's like, I get that. That was a common teaching by the Pharisees that was very known in Judea. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about just something that's going to happen at the end of the age. He says, I'm going to talk about something that I am. That in me, I will stand people back up. That I will raise people back up. That I will be the one who raises physically the bodies of the dead. And this is what he does. Imagine this image. He walks up into the cave in that snorting indignation. Right? He's angry. He's sad. He's weeping as he's doing this. And he looks into that dark, black cave of death. And he goes, Lazarus, come out. The word of God being spoken into the darkness of the death that is in the cave with the rotting corpse says, come out, stand back up, and let's go. The imagery is so incredibly powerful. The Ecclesiastes teachers teach us that life is like a vapor, but Jesus in the resurrection teaches us that though our life is like vapor, it will never be snuffed out in him. That while we live, we will never die. That while we may be down, he will stand us up in our death and brokenness, conquering it. This is the the power of the resurrection. Our God meets us in the morning, meets us in the suffering, meets us in the brokenness, meets us in the death, mourns with us, sits with us, experiences it with us, weeps with us, is angry with indignation with it, but he doesn't leave us there. He stands us back up in the resurrection. He says, this is not where you will live. This is not where you will be. This is not where you will be identified. He will stand you up. He will call you out of that dark cave of death. And he will say, let's go. Jesus will redeem the idea of heaven. 
It's a redeeming hevel. It's a, it's a redeeming hevel of going, I don't understand this, that I can live but still die. That even while I may die, I, I still live in the resurrection in Jesus. And these famous words that he uses in Revelation 21, near the end of, uh, end of the Bible, he says, Then the one seated on the throne said, this is Jesus, Look, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. When the king of all of creation says that he is making everything new, what do you think he wants to do in your life? When at the end of this story, he is going to make everything new. The death that we experience, the brokenness we experience, the same things Mary and Martha were going through with Lazarus, he's saying, hey, in me, I'm going to make it all new. This is the hope that we have as followers of Jesus. This is the hope that we cling to, is that one day he will make all things new. He will reclaim his creation. So when we think about resurrection, I want you to think about renewal. What's it mean to be renewed in the light of resurrection? What does it mean to have Jesus sit with you in brokenness and death, but knowing as well that he will be renewing us in the resurrection? Physically, you know, heaven is, is not a, a, a place where our final destination is set. You know, we don't take our tickets to heaven and go, great, I made it. Right? Heaven is a, is a storing place for heaven. It's where we're stored up because he's going to bring us back. This is why Christian funerals are a lot of times kind of a celebration because we're like, hey, I'm going to see these people later. It's coming back into a physical resurrection. We get to then live again in the garden with our God emotionally re-renewed. That the things of loss, the things of brokenness, those things that, that emotionally tortured us in this life will be renewed into a place of, of redemption where we get to then be together spiritually, entirely. Talk about a complete wholeness of, re, of renewal in the resurrection. That even though we still experience sorrow now, we still have heaven in this world, we experience it, except instead of Life be in the vapor, the sorrow will be the vapor. The sorrow may hit and then disappear, and our sorrow will turn to joy through the resurrection. Even though we experience brokenness, it will also be like a vapor, and our, and our brokenness will be restored through the resurrection. That even as we are yelling out, Why, Lord, in the confusion and, and paradoxes of this life, it's like a vapor. It's preparing our hearts and minds to be transformed and renewed through the resurrection. You know, the story of of Lazarus is a powerful one because it gives so much of the character of God contained within how he meets us and the things he wants to accomplish. He says in in the first part of John 11 that he, he knew all along that he was going to raise Lazarus. There was never a doubt in his mind what he was going to do, but he could have been calloused. He could have said, don't worry about this. I'm going to take care of it. He doesn't. He meets us. He weeps with us. He says, but guess what? All of these things, all of this brokenness, he's like, I don't waste any of it. There is nothing ever wasted in it. The things you're going through right now are not going to be wasted in the story of your life. Because all of these things will bring glory 
to who God is in the long run. That I can know, I know that through the brokenness of even my life, through the stuff that I sat with him in, and I was like, I don't understand this. Why? That I saw God's hand in all of it. You know, it's been a year since Lexi passed away next week. Can't believe it, one year. And I can see through that last year what God has done to not only be with me in my brokenness, and he still is every day, but to also make himself greater in my life through it. That he has revealed himself more powerfully. That he has made himself more well-known to me, my family, to the community that lost a high schooler. Nothing is ever wasted. Lazarus rose from the dead and again just gave indication of who Jesus was. Not realizing that in just a short amount of time, Jesus was going to go to the cross and the resurrection. Nothing's ever wasted. Let's respond to this a little bit, shall we? Because I know there are some of you in here who might really resound with Mary and Martha. Where you're in that position. Maybe you're even sitting Shiva a little bit here. You're mourning. Mourning the, the loss of a loved one. Mourning the loss of a relationship. Mourning through a conflict you're going through. Whatever it might be. You know, I hope that this story gives you a, a reflection of who God is and how he wants to meet you. How he wants to sit with you. You know, we're not going to know all the answers. That would be nice. But we're not going to totally understand why things happen. It's hevel. But we do get a good glimpse of who God is in our loss. So ask your questions. Recognize who he is that he loves you, that he mourns with you, that he weeps with you. Hold on to the hope that he will be shouting into the darkness of your life and that renewal is possible. It may not be on this side of heaven, but renewal is ultimately possible in what Jesus achieves in the resurrection. That he will one day sit on a throne and declare with his mouth the very words, I am making everything new promise and hope we have in fact I think he's probably calling you into a deeper relationship if you're like a Mary and Martha if you're asking if you were just here I think he's calling you even into a deeper intimacy with him a deeper relationship with him that he is going to make himself heavier he's going to make himself known more in your life because of this and it's a paradox because you want him to take it away I get it You want him to just remove it. You want him just to fix it. But he is here saying, I'm going to transform you through it. I'm going to renew you through it. I'm going to make make myself more known through it. And as we look back and reflect on that, we go, man, that was so incredibly difficult. And I hated going through that. But I remember just being so incredibly close to the Lord through it. It's a paradox. And to those who may not even know who Jesus is, I hope this gives you a bit of a a character profile of who our God is. Maybe you're on the edge there kind of thinking, maybe this, I want to learn a little bit more about this Jesus who sits with me in my death and my brokenness, who understands it 
and ultimately can renew it who wants to stand me back up because I know there's people in here probably laying down on the ground with nothing left walked into here going I'm on fumes this is why we're a hospital for the sick that's what the church is the best hospital in town right and that Jesus wants to stand you back up that he wants to stand you back up he wants to bring about a resurrection in your life he is calling out into the darkness to say, let's go. Stand up. Let's go. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.